The Macro View, Episode 28. You're listening to the number one daily podcast focused on spreading the logic of liberty. I'm your host, Andrew Smith. Financial markets are often misunderstood. People will refer to them as a casino or as rigged. And Wall Street's one of the most hated institutions, not only in the U.S., but around the world. Begs the question, is this a fair characterization of financial markets? Possibly. Under the heavy direction of government, there's no doubt that financial markets have become utterly corrupted. Absent government involvement, however, financial markets are the most important development in the history of the world for human progress. The ability to match swiftly and for low cost, savers and borrowers, investors and entrepreneurs, definitely changed the world for the better. Without commercial investment banks, without brokers and exchanges, much of the greatest inventions would have never been funded. Some listeners may be saying, well, yeah, of course, we need to be able to match investors to entrepreneurs. We need saving and borrowing, and investors desire liquidity. So the basic services you've mentioned are obviously vital. But what about things like derivatives and complex securities and structured products? Over the next five episodes, we're going to be discussing the financial markets. We will start tonight with savings and banking, and then tomorrow night, we're going to discuss debt and equity. The third night, we're going to discuss market corrections and uh, the, the bankruptcy process and the distressed markets. And in the fourth episode, we're going to be discussing complex derivatives and, and you know, risk and risk management and the role that, that uh, derivatives and structured products and securitization plays. And then finally, on the, on the last episode, we're going to discuss government involvement and the interventions that have occurred that have corrupted the financial markets. So we're going to dive right into the discussion, but first we've got to introduce you to one of the most valuable resources available for all libertarians and libertarian-leaning folks. All right, folks, so I know most, if not all, of my listeners are big believers in the free market. Some of my listeners may, from time to time, find themselves stumped by a statist. That's got to stop today, folks. We cannot let them embarrass us with pro-government intervention bumper sticker taglines and anti-free market memes. We need every single one of you to be able to clearly, concisely, and convincingly burn the statist strawman. There's a resource for that. It's Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. You can sign up today, and they have three different levels. Basic, Basic Plus, and Master. With the Master membership in particular, you'll gain the equivalent knowledge of if you were to take a PhD program in libertarian thought if there were such a thing at any of the various youth indoctrination centers that we call universities. So go and sign up today and begin taking courses such as an introduction to logic, the history of economic thought, Austrian economics step-by-step, John Maynard Keynes' system and its fallacies, a ton of U.S. and Western civilization history courses, freedom's progress, the history of political thought, and much, much more. To learn more, go to macroviewnews.com and click on the link in the top right corner titled Liberty Classroom. Once you've completed the master course, you're guaranteed to be better prepared to help me spread the logic of liberty. So let's start with why banks exist and what their role is. Banks serve two key purposes, and really three today, but the third is sort of a tertiary service. The main purposes are money warehousing, financial intermediary services. We've discussed many money warehousing on past episodes, and I will link to those episodes on tonight's show page, which can be found at macroviewnews.com slash 28. 
But most of our discussions on money warehousing have surrounded the issues with fractional reserve banking. Tonight, we're not really going to get into the money warehousing side of the bank's role, which is really based around security and protection of your money and uh, convenience as well. Tonight, we're primarily and most importantly going to discuss the, the role that banks play in facilitating the matching of lenders, borrowers, investors, and entrepreneurs. Banks provide the service of risk management for savers. Savers do not assume the risk of loans made when they save through a bank. The bank assumes that risk. They do the due diligence and they find potential borrowers and sort of sort through the, uh, the number of borrowers that are out there and find the best ones to, to allocate a loan to. Now, of course, there's always risk that, uh, that the bank makes a bad loan, that the bank goes out of business. In an unhampered market, though, in a free market, savers and creditors are the first in line to get paid back. And savers are creditors. They go right in line with the creditors. They're the first to get paid back in the event of a bankruptcy. I've also discussed this before, but in the old days, prior to the cartelization of the banks, the, the founders or the partners, the people who owned the bank, the owners were held personally liable. Personally liable, that means that if they went out of business, they had to continue to pay back depositors. They were personally liable for deposits that the bank took on. Since banks serve the purpose of matching these different parties and assuming in the case of lending, the risk of making the loans, it's prudent to have a discussion about exactly why people save and why people borrow and why it's valuable. The easy answer is what is known as time preference. But to understand time preference, you have to first understand what purpose in, econ in an economy savings provides. To do that, a quick Crusoe economics thought experiment is probably the best way to understand the role of savings. So if you think about Robinson Crusoe on his desert island struggling to survive, Robinson has to work. He has to take actions to feed himself primarily and to drink fresh water. It's tough work. And let's say Robinson needs, I don't know, three fish a day and three coconuts a day to not just survive, but to have enough energy to get back out there the next day. At the end of an eight-hour day, let's assume, he's able to catch four fish with his bare hands. He's able to successfully climb the coconut tree and grab four coconuts as well. If Robinson needs three fish and three coconuts each day, Robinson can save a fish and one coconut. Now, let's assume that Robinson doesn't want to have to work this hard every day for measly sustenance until he finally dies a miserable death on this desert island. Let's say that Robinson knows that he needs to build a net to catch more fish every day. And with the net, Robinson will be able to catch, let's say, 24 fish. Or in other words, in a single day, Robinson will be able to catch his full week's worth plus a day of the needed fish. If he builds that net, he also knows he can now spend the next six days of the week only collecting coconuts. With half his day no longer taken up catching fish, he can, in those six days, collect six coconuts each day. If he dedicates his full eight hours to the collection of coconuts. Now, on a single day, Robinson, with, with this net and being able to, to catch all the fish he needs in one day, not dedicating half his day to catching fish anymore, Robinson can now collect two days worth of coconuts each day. The issue is, if he wants to build this net, collecting all the materials and then assembling the materials will take Robinson two full days. Robinson can't just starve for those two days. If he does, he won't have the energy to go and collect the materials quick enough, and he won't have the focus to assemble the net properly. To survive those two days, 
that it's going to take him to build the net. He needs to save up his extra fish and his extra coconut each day for six days so that he'll have the extra six fish and six coconuts beyond what he just consumes. That way he has two days worth of food that he can eat so that he doesn't just starve to death or starve so much that he doesn't have the energy energy to go out and to, to assemble them to get the gather the materials and assemble the materials. Now, as a wise man, Robinson's going to save his extra fish because if he were to just indulge himself in the extra fish and the extra coconut every day, he'd never be able to build a net. And the next day, he'd just have to go back out and catch the four fish with his hands, shimmy up the coconut tree, collect his four coconuts, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat until he dies a miserable death. Since he's wise, he knows he needs to save that extra fish. He needs to save the extra coconut. And each day he needs to do that for six days. And on the seventh and eighth days, he can go out and collect the materials and then assemble the materials. Take the materials and put them together and build a net. Now, with the net, a single day's work of fishing provides Robinson with enough fish for a week and a day. And in another day's work, he can collect two days worth of coconuts. This allows Robinson to, in one day of fishing and four days of coconut gathering, collect 24 fish and 24 coconuts. That's eight days worth of each. This leaves Robinson an extra two days to, let's say, work on building a coconut loosening stick to reach up in the coconut tree and knock down the coconut. Now, let's say that with this new stick, Robinson's able to collect 24 coconuts in a single day. Now, with his net and his coconut loosening stick, Robinson works for two days to gain his sustenance for a week. Now, with all this extra time, Robinson can spend five days a week building, let's say, a fish trap. So he can go out and he can collect rocks, really hard work. He can bring these, these huge rocks. He sets them up in the ocean in a way that when the tide comes in, fish swim into this circle of rocks that he builds. And when the tide goes out, let's say that 50 fish a day are trapped in this little circle of rocks. That's more than two weeks worth every day with virtually no additional work. Now with all of his additional time, Robinson's able to go and say build some sort of lever that shakes coconut trees and collect all the coconuts on a tree in one hour. So this allows him in a single day to collect, let's say, 100 coconuts. Robinson now not only has a ton of extra time to collect materials to build a little shack and protect himself from storms and wild animals to provide himself with a little bit more comfort. The initial savings that Robinson made are what allowed him to take the time to build the tools, made his time much more productive and his life much more enjoyable. And it all started with savings. This is true on a large scale economy as well. We, when we come back from a quick break, we're going, we're going to introduce Friday into our discussion, you know, Robinson Crusoe's indigenous friend Friday, and show how Robinson's savings in combination with Friday can make everybody's life better off. First, though, we've got to take a quick break and introduce one more resource for our listeners. We'll be right back. All right, everyone. So I've got another great resource for those of you that are saying, Andrew, you know, I'd love to do Tom Woods' master level courses on Liberty Classroom, but I really don't have the time for that right now. I need a crash course on Liberty and Austrian economics. Maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, Donald Trump was just inaugurated and my parents or my wife or my husband or someone else I love is way over the moon. All their free market so-called convictions were tossed out. They threw the baby out with the Obamas 
And now that there's a Republican in the White House, that's all that matters. I need something fast. I need something that'll get me caught up in a day or at most in a week. Well, folks, I've got you covered. If you want to learn more in a single day or in a week about economics than most people will learn in a lifetime, you're going to want to head over to Mises.org and check out their absolutely free Mises Bootcamp. In five quick lessons, you'll learn more than enough to take down any of the various absurd defenses of government interference in the economy that your Republican loved ones may launch over the next four to eight years to justify the big spending and big government and all sorts of other interferences, tariffs, whatever may come about under the Trump administration. For your convenience, you'll find a link directly to the registration page for the Mises Bootcamp on tonight's show page. Stop waiting and harness the knowledge that you need today. So as I mentioned before we took our break, we're going to introduce Friday now. You know, Robinson Crusoe's indigenous uh, friend Friday, who he happens across on this desert island. So let's do just that. So let's assume that Robinson meets Friday, and Friday, who's been living on this island for quite a while, knows the lay of the land really well. And Friday knows where to find poultry, let's say some chickens, and some wild lettuce and tomatoes, just for making you know, the example easy. Friday also knows where the best fresh water falls on the island. Robinson's sick of eating fish and coconuts. He wants some chicken and some eggs, some fresh vegetables, and some fresh water, sick of drinking coconut milk. But Friday informs him that in order to gather all of this and to really set it up in a a way that it could provide perpetual sustenance, it's going to take him five days to capture the chicken and and to build a coop. And then it's also going to take probably another five days to get the lettuce and the tomatoes and transplant them back to an area where he can set up a garden. And it might take a little bit of time before Robinson gets paid back. And Friday doesn't have the tools that are needed. So to create all the tools that he would need in order to do, in order to go out and, and collect all of this stuff, it's going to take him five days. And then it's going to take him another five days to build buckets or a number of buckets to, to collect this fresh water that he knows about. So just for the sake of making the example easy, let's assume that the vegetable, vegetables are perpetually growing and there's no downtime in between transplanting, cropping, and replanting. And you're able to start harvesting vegetables immediately. Let's say that each week, the garden provides enough food for both Robinson and Friday for two weeks. And then each of them for two weeks each. And then that the chicken provides enough eggs or the chickens provide enough eggs for each to have three eggs a day. All in all, if Robinson wants a steady supply of chicken eggs and maybe some chicken every now and then, some lettuce, tomatoes, and some fresh water, you know, he needs, he's going to have to give something up in the meantime because Friday needs some sort of sustenance to go out and make this all happen. But Robinson has a ton of fish, way more fish than he could even possibly eat. And after all, he's gathering all this fish every day without doing any additional work because of the time he took to set his trap up. So he catches 50 fish a day without even having to go out and fish. In a single week, he gets enough fish to feed himself for over 115 days thanks to all his previous savings and his ability to build the trap. Now, during that week, he can also collect over 230 days worth of coconuts. Friday, on the other hand, would need to survive for only 15 days that it would take to put together all the stuff that he needs to go and catch the chickens, to set up the buckets and collect water, and to transplant the vegetables and replant them 
into a nice garden and, and have them grow perpetually. Robinson can easily afford, with his extremely productive capital equipment, to provide Friday with 15 days worth of fish and coconuts. In return, what Robinson wants after the 15 days is half the take. He wants half the take for 30 days, not just for 15 days. Because just having the fish now and, and indulging and being gluttonous is a little bit more valuable to him than just getting 15 days worth in the future. 15 days worth of vegetables and, and uh, you know chicken eggs and, and fresh water. So he wants a little something extra above and beyond. And let's say that he values all of the, 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 for the package that he's receiving from Robinson of the vegetables, the chicken eggs, the, the fresh water, and, and some chickens. Let's say he values that at double the value of the fish and coconuts if he were to get 30 days worth. So he's getting a lot more value in return than he's lending out. And through this example, we can easily understand the value that savings has and that lending has, lending for, for Friday, because after 30 days, he no longer owes anything else to Robinson. And now he's set up a nice little uh, garden that provide, and, and some chicken coops and chickens that provide him with some perpetual sustenance. So we, we get savings, we get borrowing, and we can easily see the value of both of those through that example. But in order to understand the value of the bank, we don't really need to add a name to third person. We could just say somebody. So let's just assume that Friday actually does, uh, doesn't know where, where he can get the chickens and the vegetables and the water. But he, you know, he knows that there's this village that Robinson doesn't know exists. And he knows that there's a person in the village who knows where the chickens and the vegetables and the water and all of that is. So that third person that we're adding in, the unnamed person, would be willing to pay back, let's say, half the take for 45 days if Robinson can find him the sustenance needed for him to go out and collect all of this stuff and be able to come back and set up his garden. They'll provide him with perpetual uh, sustenance way beyond the 45 days. Friday trusts this person. He knows them. He knows they'll get paid back. And Robinson trusts Friday, knowing that, he'll get, knowing that he will get paid back. So let's add in the assumption that Friday knows that the villager already has the equipment and the materials needed to make the project work. If the loan that Friday makes to his villager isn't paid back, we can also assume that Friday will be able to track the villager down and collect or can convince a village elder to force the villager that he lent the money to to fork over the equipment to Friday and to show Friday where the chickens and the lettuce and the tomatoes and the fresh water can be found. And Friday can quickly go out and get everything that he, that's needed. Now, he may not be able to get the full amount. Let's say he's able to get half the amount, but he's then willing to live on a little bit of a pittance in the meantime, something much smaller than what he expected, and give Crusoe the full take from the garden, from the new garden, and the chicken coops and the buckets of water until Robinson gets his 30 days worth of half, what, what was supposed to be half a take. So in this scenario... Friday is playing the role of a bank. He's doing nothing more than borrowing from, from Robinson. He knows somebody that needs the capital. He's able to lend that capital out. Friday knows of somebody that has the ability, and with the loan from Robinson saving, the time to deliver on Friday's promises to Robinson. He also knows other people that can help him to enforce the contract made between Friday and this third unnamed person. He also knows that Robinson is a valuable contact to have. He doesn't want to lose his trust 
because he's seen how many fish and coconuts Robinson's able to collect. He sees how productive he is and he's somebody that's a valuable contact to have that could possibly go, be, you could, you could go back to, to Robinson and get a little bit more if you need to do another project in the future. Now, in the process of collecting the loan or voluntarily being paid back, let's say that Friday also gets based, you know, what we said earlier with our assumption, 15 days worth of chicken, lettuce, tomato, eggs, and water. The initial 15 days worth of fish and coconut is what we call principal. And this is paid back with, with the first 15 days worth of chicken, lettuce, tomato, eggs, and water. The next 15 days worth of chicken, lettuce, tomatoes, eggs, and water that Robinson's paid, that's what we call interest. And then the final 15 days worth of the, the same goods that Friday receives is what we would call the net interest margin. That's what, how banks get compensated. So the concept of banking is clear. Bank borrows money from the saver, lends it out to someone who needs capital to complete a project they'll be able to pay the bank back. The bank assumes the risk of paying the saver back in the event that the person that they lend the money to does not pay them back. And also they assume the risk of going and collecting if they're not paid back. And they're compensated for doing that. That's why the net interest margin exists. The bank assumes that risk and they get compensated for assuming that risk. So now we, we get it. We understand savings and banking and this thought experiment of Robinson Crusoe on his desert island and then introducing Friday into the mix. And Friday knows a villager that has the, ability, the, the knowledge of where these, uh, you know, where these goods would be. And he also has the equipment or what we would call capital goods to go out and make the project happen. So we get, the, we get the idea of a bank. On tomorrow night's episode, we're going to go over a similar scenario, but we're going to discuss a different payback scheme. Okay, we're going to discuss a different payback scheme. And then after that, we're going to exit our Crusoe economics lesson for the rest of the series. So we're also going to introduce money into the scenario tomorrow. And we're going to discuss, when I, when I mentioned the different payback scheme, what that relates to is debt versus equity. And the concept, the, the other, another thing we're going to introduce tomorrow night's episode is the concept of a centralized exchange and the concept of liquidity. And in doing so, we're also going to debunk what's known as the zero sum game fallacy, which is where people say that, oh, it's like a casino, you know, Wall Street wins at, at everybody else's expense. And, you, you know, some people win and some people lose. And we're going to debunk that fallacy because it's just plain not true. And after tomorrow night's episode, you'll understand why it's not true. So that's tomorrow on episode 29. Then on episode 30, we're going to discuss insurance and derivatives and securitization and structured products. Then on episode 31, we're going to discuss market corrections, bankruptcy, and the distressed asset market, which is very, very important and understand how an unhampered financial market is supposed to work or does work unhampered. And then on episode 32, we're going to discuss the interventions that government has made that have actually corrupted the financial system and what, what lead people to believe that Wall Street is a common enemy of the layman. I hope everybody's enjoyed tonight's show. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow for a continuation of this discussion on financial markets and the future episodes as well. My hope is that by the end of this five-part series, my listeners will be very well-versed in the workings of the financial market and why they're so extremely important and so valuable. Tonight was just the very tip of the iceberg, folks. You do not want to miss the upcoming episodes. So make sure you head over, if you aren't already listening to tonight's episode from there, head over to macroviewnews.com and subscribe 
so that you'll be notified when the new episodes are released. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find the links right there on our website. And you can also find links to the resources mentioned here in tonight's show. You can find them on the show page, which is macroviewnews.com slash 28. Most importantly, though, most importantly, do not forget to share us with your friends and family and help me to spread the logic of liberty. Hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their night or day or whatever it is you happen to, uh, to be catching up on the macro view. Take care, folks. All right, everyone. So I've got another great resource for those of you that are saying, Andrew, you know, I'd love to do Tom Woods' master level courses on Liberty Classroom, but I really don't have the time for that right now. I need a crash course on Liberty and Austrian economics. Maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, Donald Trump was just inaugurated and my parents or my wife or my husband or someone else I love is way over the moon. All their free market so-called convictions were tossed out. They threw the baby out with the Obamas. And now that there's a Republican in the White House, that's all that matters. I need something fast. I need something that'll get me caught up in a day or at most in a week. Well, folks, I've got you covered. If you want to learn more in a single day or in a week about economics than most people will learn in a lifetime, you're going to want to head over to Mises.org and check out their absolutely free Mises Bootcamp. In five quick lessons, you'll learn more than enough to take down any of the various absurd defenses of government interference in the economy that your Republican loved ones may launch over the next four to eight years to justify the big spending and big government and all sorts of other interferences, tariffs, whatever may come about under the Trump administration. For your convenience, you'll find a link directly to the registration page for the Mises Bootcamp on tonight's show page. Stop waiting and harness the knowledge that you need today.